0: Well, hello, Thrive Church. We are so happy to have you with us, whether you are in person at one of our campuses, Torrington, New Britain, Terryville, online or on TV. Uh, We welcome you. We are so glad to have you here as we are in a series called I Doubt It. And throughout this series, we've been exploring the doubts that may come at us uh, in life and as we're following Christ and how those who are following Jesus, how we should handle doubts. You know, it's not a question of if doubts come, it's when doubts come. And and many of us, we struggle with doubts each and every day. And and all too often, people who have doubts, they're, they're looked down upon. People say, you shouldn't have doubts. The reality is, is we face doubt in life. And we face doubts in our faith. And that's okay, and so throughout this series, we've been taking a look at a bunch of different people in the Bible who have faced doubts, everyone from John the Baptist and Moses and Judas and, and all kinds of people. And, and you know, we can't really do a series on doubt without talking about our favorite skeptic, our favorite doubter of all times, Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Now, now, Doubting Thomas was, was so famous for his doubts that it kind of has become a, a slang term. And, and it's, I mean, it's listed in a lot of dictionaries. You can, if you call someone a Doubting Thomas, it's a person who refuses to believe something without having a personal experience of that. It's someone who is, habitually doubtful, who's habitually a skeptic. You look at somebody and say, well, well, you're just a doubting Thomas. You're someone who, who just doesn't believe. And, and uh, my, my last name is Thomas, so this is kind of like, like, you know, traveled with me my whole life. You're like, well, are you a doubting Thomas or a believing Thomas? It's like, I don't know. I'm just a Thomas. It's my last name. But here we see a, a guy, and he's got a nickname, Doubting Thomas. And, and you know, again, it's someone who's habitually doubting. And I kind of questioned that a little bit. Was Thomas, was he a habitual doubter? Like we only see him kind of doubt one time anyway. And, and, and this whole title just gets hung over his head. You ever, you ever have something like that happen in life where you do one thing wrong one time and it's like every time you see somebody that experienced that with you, it's like they always want to bring that up, right? It's like they always want to bring that up. Now now Thomas does one little thing and everyone's like, well, there's doubting Thomas. He's like, I just had a question for crying out loud. And so, so he's become kind of the, the, the poster child, the patron saint of, of doubt and skepticism and unbelief. I don't know if he really doubted God. In fact, you know what, as we read the story, I kinda think that he just doubted the other 10 disciples at the time. I think that's who he was doubting. He wasn't doubting God, he was doubting them. The thing with doubt, though, is if, you know, we have to be careful with it, and this is what we've been exploring throughout this series, is are we embracing doubt or are we facing doubt? In your notes, if you're taking them, doubt can either undermine our faith or it can define our faith. What is doubt gonna do for you? When you face doubt, and you will, will it undermine your faith, or will it help to define your faith? I've been doing this for so long now, and I've seen People that face doubts, and and some people, when they come against doubts, it it, it undermines everything they believe. They don't dig in, they don't explore, they just take the doubt, embrace it, and they turn and walk away. Other people, they face similar doubts, and they use it as a a, a way to draw them closer to God. They dig deeper, their faith actually increases. Is doubt undermining your faith, or is it defining your faith? We're going to take a look at Thomas today in his story. His story we're going to look at in John chapter 20, verse 24. And this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? So Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the grave, and, and, and he had appeared to several of the disciples. But, but here in verse 24, we're going to see one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hands into the wound in his side. And I'm like, Thomas, that's a little graphic, don't you think? He's like, i am going to put my finger right there in the hole. I'm going to put my hand right there in his side. And I wonder if he was just getting a little salty with these guys because they're like, well, we saw Jesus, we saw Jesus. And he's like, you know what? I'm not sure I believe you. I'm not sure. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Verse 26 is eight days later. The disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. We don't know where Thomas was the first time, but now he's with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. We see that, that when Jesus is, is showing up, he's bringing something that the world cannot supply. He's bringing peace. He's saying, Peace be with you, he said. Then he says to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Verse 28 My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You know, people look down on him for years and years. I've heard tons of sermons about doubting Thomas, and don't be like doubting Thomas, and, and don't, don't have doubts like this, and, and how he doubted. How could he doubt? You know, the other disciples, they all had faith, but, but not Thomas. He doubted. Wait, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did you see what it said in, in verse 24? We just read it a minute ago. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed The twin was not with the others when Jesus came; he wasn't there. Jesus appeared to these other disciples, and Thomas wasn't there. So it kind of makes me wonder: would Peter and John and James and Bartholomew would they have believed had they not been there? Like like they were there, they saw it. They're kind of looking down. Well, hey, Thomas, you should believe this, but he wasn't there. The other guys were there. They were there. What about you? Would you have believed? The story, would you believe that? I mean, think about it. It's kind of a crazy story, right? I mean, Jesus was dead. He he watched him die. He he was buried. They they, they had their their funeral for him. He's dead. And then now the guys are coming back saying, Thomas, he's alive. I saw him. You might, might be like, you know what? I don't know. You know, we, we've all been to, to, to funerals before. We've had loved ones who have died. And imagine going through that. Imagine going through the tragedy of that. And then two, later, two days later, somebody comes and says, hey, I saw Grandma at McDonald's. It's like, hold on. I was just at her funeral. Like, I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't Grandma. Like, like, I'm pretty sure we already laid her to rest. You know, and so, so this this whole thing, like, like Thomas said. I mean, yeah, is he doubting? Yes, but but it's kind of an incredulous claim that they're making, saying that Jesus is walking around. I can kind of relate to him if, if I'm honest about it. Can, can you really blame him for being skeptical when these disciples are saying, "Oh, Jesus is alive"? I mean, put yourself in in his shoes. I mean, we're all kind of skeptical. I mean, every so many years it seems like somebody has one of these like Elvis sightings, right? You you know that, oh, I saw Elvis and he was out bowling, or I saw him in a movie, or I saw him putting gas in his car, I saw him at the Dunkin' Donuts. And whenever I hear something like that, I'm a little skeptical, to be honest. Because we know that he died, right? Like we, we, we know that. But yet people say these things, and I'm a little bit skeptical. I think Thomas was just kind of a reasonable, logical person. He's like, you know what? I don't really believe you. You know, because I saw him at the Last Supper. I saw him when he broke the bread and he handed it out and he took the cup and and he said to, 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 to eat this bread, which would represent his body, and drink this wine, which would represent his blood. I saw him when... We were in the garden and we were supposed to pray and and we fell asleep and and he was still praying and he kind of got on us because we we couldn't stay awake and I saw him when Judas came up and kissed him. I saw him get arrested. I saw him get whipped and beaten. He knew about Peter denying him three times. He saw him get, get nailed to the cross and lifted up and hang there as he's slowly suffocating, slowly dying on the cross. And after he's dead, he sees the soldiers come and plunge a spear deep into his side, ensuring that he was dead. Thomas is like, yeah, I saw all of that. I saw him die there. I saw them take him down off the cross and bury him in a tomb, and and he's been dead for several days now. I saw all that happen. Don't try to tell me that he's alive. I mean, Mary, when she went to the tomb, she didn't assume that Jesus was alive, she sees an empty tomb, and she assumes that somebody moved the body. She comes back, tells the disciples, they didn't believe her, so they went to investigate themselves. They're not sure what's going on. No one was expecting a resurrection. None of the disciples were expecting a resurrection. We've said this before. Had they been really expecting the resurrection, they would have been camping out beside the tomb, waiting to see it happen. I would have, you would have. Like, I'm not gonna miss this. No, where were they? They're hiding the entire time. They're afraid that they're gonna be next. Nobody was expecting that. They're hiding. Peter and John, they run to see. They see the tomb is empty. Now they come back. They're not really sure what's going on. They're hiding behind closed doors. See, this is what happened in the verses before Jesus appears to Judas. We see the other disciples, and they're hiding behind locked doors. Why? Because they're afraid that they're next. They're they're afraid for their lives. They're hiding behind locked doors. They're trying to figure it all out. They're scared. And then Jesus appears to them, and in that moment, they believed that, in fact, Jesus was the risen Lord. And guess what? Thomas wasn't there. Thomas wasn't there. And he's like, "You know, and I'm supposed to just take your word for it, Peter?" I mean, you just denied him a couple days ago. And I'm supposed to take your word for it? Come on. Like, like how, why do you expect me to believe you? See in your notes if you're taking them, there's nothing wrong with looking for evidence. Nothing wrong with that. It's okay to look for evidence for our faith. So sometimes it feels like it feels like, like people are afraid of looking for evidence, as if somehow evidence will disprove God. Some people are afraid of science because they're afraid that somehow science will disprove God. No, dig into it. If you have questions, dig into it. Dig into it because I believe if God is who he says he is and he is, that the more you look for evidence, the more God will show himself and reveal himself to you. People are like, well, well, Thomas was just a doubter. Was he? Was he? You know, we only really see maybe two other things about Thomas in the Bible. and So we're going to take a look at some of those other things that we we see about him. The first one uh, that we'll talk about is John 14, verse 1. Jesus is speaking here. So this is before he he died. Jesus is speaking. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home, and if this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Now, so Jesus is saying that he's preparing a place for us, an eternal home for us, that we can be with him. See, I'm preparing this place for, for you, and, and when it's all ready, I'm going to come and get you. He says, I'm I'm gonna prepare a place for you. When everything's ready, I'll come and get you so that you'll always be with me where I am. And you know the way where I'm going. Verse five, I love this. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas says. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Like Thomas is just like, he's just speaking it. He's just letting the, you know, it's like there's no filter, it's just, just coming out. Jesus is like, you guys all know where I'm going. Thomas is like, no, we have no clue. Jesus, you left us back there at something about rooms. Like, we don't know where this place is. Look at Jesus' response to him. He says, "We we have no idea where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Man, it's, it's, it's a powerful verse. In fact, it's probably one of the most pivotal verses in our faith, because Jesus here is claiming that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and that no other way gets you to God except through him. I, will we even have this verse if it was not for Thomas asking that question? See, Thomas is like, hold on, Jesus, we don't know the way. Everybody else was just nodding along, saying, okay, yeah, okay, Jesus. And is it, everybody's like, Do you know what he's No, no clue, but just keep nodding your head, Right? This is what we do when we don't understand something. We just keep nodding our head. Thomas is like, I don't know. I don't. He didn't mind looking like an idiot. He didn't mind looking like he didn't know what was going on. He just said what everyone else was thinking. He wasn't doubting. He was just being honest. We've got no clue. He spoke his mind. He wasn't afraid to speak up for what he thought. See, Thomas was, was a realist. He didn't pretend to know what was going on. He didn't just nod his head and smile, and if he didn't understand something, he asked. Just like a couple of weeks ago, I was driving with my family, and we were, we were coming, and, and we came across a detour, right? And I mean, detours are, are kind of annoying, and, and so you come to the detour, and I stopped, and, and I was trying to, to get to the interstate, and I asked the cop how to get to the interstate, and, and he started saying these words, and it was not computing in my mind what he was saying. He's saying, oh, you go left, and then it's going to go right, but then you're going to take another left, and then, and then you just kind of go around, and then it'll put you right. And I'm just like, okay, yes. He's like, do you got it? I'm like, yes. We get in the, I'm, I look at everybody in the car. I'm like, does anybody know what he's talking about? Everybody's like, no, we have no clue. What he just said, I'm like, oh, I should go back and ask again. But now I look really dumb. It's like, hold on, could you tell me this all over again? So I just, we just kind of wandered around. We figured out how we needed to, to go, where we needed to ultimately go. But I was just sitting there because I didn't want to look dumb by saying, Excuse me, I don't know what you're saying. And yet Thomas did that. He's like, Excuse me, excuse me, Jesus, uh, you lost us. We don't know. You say we know the way. Maybe they know the way. Maybe you told them the way, but I don't know the way and I want to know the way. And Jesus says, Okay. I am the way, the truth, the life. See, if he didn't believe, he, he was requesting evidence. And then Jesus opens up to him. He doesn't condemn him. He's not making fun of him. You know, he, he gets a little ticked off at Peter from time to time. Peter did some things, but, but nobody goes around saying, oh, don't you know the denier Peter? Don't you know? The but we say the doubting Thomas. But what about denier Peter, right? I, I mean, it's like, why do we hang something over someone's head? And this is how doubt often is. You experience some doubt, and and you feel like it's gonna follow you. So Jesus opens up to him. He's not mad at Thomas, he gives him the answers. Junior notes, God invites us to bring our questions to him. Did you know that God is strong enough to handle our questions? You know, it's amazing to think about this. I spent a lot of years of my life thinking that I couldn't question things. I couldn't ask God questions. I couldn't bring him my doubts and my fears and my concerns. I'm thinking like, like somehow I'm gonna offend him. He's gonna get so ticked off at me that he's not gonna have anything to do with me anymore until I realize that God is strong enough to handle my doubts. In fact, he already knew my doubts even before I expressed them. The first mention of Thomas is even more interesting than this one. Jesus' uh, close friend, Lazarus, was sick. You sure you remember the story, right? Lazarus is sick, and uh, they, they send word to Jesus, hey, your buddy is sick, and, and Jesus is like, okay, I'm gonna come, but he takes a couple of days and getting ready to come, and, and then he's gonna come to, to see Lazarus, and this is kind of where we pick up now. So Jesus is already kind of late for this whole thing. Uh, in John 11, verse seven, finally, he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected, right? His disciples objected. Like, why aren't they called doubting for objecting? I mean, here's Jesus saying, We're going here. They're like, No, you can't go there. I mean, it's like, Come on. You're telling the Messiah what he can and cannot do? His disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, Only a few days ago, people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied with debatably one of the most cryptic sayings in all of the Bible. There are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of day of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. And he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him. I'm not sure how all that ties together, but Jesus is just saying stuff here. The disciples are like, okay, he's sleeping. They kind of latched on on that. Okay, he's sleeping. First of all, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. Verse 13, they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So they told him plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you'll really believe. Well, come, let's go see him. Verse 16, now we're getting to Thomas. Thomas, nicknamed the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. <laughs> Like isn't that great? Like I don't know. Like I try to read tone sometimes. I'm like, like how did he say that? Was it kind of like nonchalant? Okay, let's go die with Jesus. Was it like, like you know, sarcastic? Well, let's go and die with Jesus. Or was he like energetic? Let's go! We're gonna die with Jesus. Like I don't know exactly how he said it, but however he said it, he's saying, "Hey guys, I'm in. I'm in. Whatever." Like, yeah, yeah, they were gonna stone him just a couple days ago. He wants to go back. You're all trying to stop him. But you know what, guys? Let's go and die with Jesus. It'll be okay. It'll be a good time. You know, Thomas was the first person who was demonstrating a willingness to die for his Savior. It's like, let's do this. In fact, if we fast forward later on in his life, we know that he did, in fact, end up giving his life for Jesus. See, he was willing then, and he was willing to his last breath. So, back to his doubt. He's having some doubts, perhaps. Did Jesus really rise from the dead or not? And then Jesus shows up to him in that moment. Jesus says to him, put your fingers in my hand. Put your hand into my side. And you know what's interesting there? Like, like we don't even see any evidence of Thomas actually doing that. What does he do? He immediately realizes that he is Lord, that Jesus is the risen Savior. He's like, my Savior and my Lord. See, Jesus also, he already knew what Thomas needed. He shows up there, and Thomas doesn't say anything. Jesus is like, hey, Thomas, you didn't see me last time, but put your fingers right here. Come on, see my side if you want to. I'm right here. And in the midst of Thomas's doubt, we see the heart of Jesus, We get afraid that if we have some doubts that God's gonna hold us at arm's length, but that's not what Jesus did with Thomas. Thomas had some very reasonable doubts. He wasn't sure that he could believe the accounts of his other disciples there. He wasn't sure that that he could fully trust what they were saying, but once he saw Jesus and Jesus met him where he was at, Jesus didn't condemn him, Jesus didn't shame him, he met him right there where he was at. And in your notes, Jesus meets us in our doubts and our questions, he meets us there. He's not afraid of them. He meets us there. He's not afraid of our skepticism. He's not afraid of the questions that we have. Now, here's the thing. In life, we, we may never have 100% evidence that God either does exist or does not exist. But it's good for us to explore our faith. It's good for us to dig into to God's word. It's good for us to, to look at scientific evidence. It's good for us to, to look for the answers in the areas that we have doubts. Don't stop looking. Don't take your doubt as a fact. See, that's what many of us do. We start to get doubts, and we embrace the doubt as fact, even though there may not be any evidence to support that doubt. See, let our doubts cause our faith to grow, not let it dwindle away. See, in your notes, doubt doesn't have to define your life. Many of us we think that we're, we're skeptics, we're doubters. In fact, I kind of am in many ways in my own life. There's many things that I doubt. There's many things that I'm skeptical of. I'm skeptical of a lot of things because I've seen a lot of things. And in and, and, and many years, you know, I was, a, I was a, a hobbyist magician and I learned all kinds of things. And So as a result of even that, it kind of caused me to be skeptical of things that I see and hear and experience. But you know what? Doubt does not have to define who you are. See, are we able to believe in something even though we haven't seen it? See, we see scripture, and scripture is God's word. Are we able to trust that? Sometimes we get doubts that, that God's word is what it says. it is. Did you know that, that the New Testament is the most preserved book in human history? You know, most other documents that we consider trustworthy only have a few dozen or maybe a couple hundred of supporting ancient documents that they derive the text from. And we say, well, those are uh, considered accurate. The New Testament itself alone has over 25,000 manuscripts, many of them from only a few years after the original writing. It wasn't something that was manufactured by people 100 years later ought to kind of come up with these stories. I mean, imagine that anyway. Who would come up with these crazy stories and then go and and allow themselves to get put to death for them? We have eyewitness accounts of Jesus and the resurrection and the death that have been scrutinized and evaluated by by theologians and, and linguists for thousands of years. We see Matthew who wrote an account and he was an eyewitness We see John Mark who also wrote an account, most likely was the assistant of Peter and he was writing down many of his thoughts and ideas. We see Luke who wrote as an investigative journalist and he he wrote and he documented and he reported what he saw and what he heard from the interviews. John was an eyewitness actually seeing these things happen. We have the book of James. Man, James was Jesus' flesh and blood. James was Jesus' own brother. And I always find that pretty amazing. If you can convince your brother that you're the Messiah, you probably are. Right? Because, I mean, it's like, imagine trying to convince your brother, hey, I'm the Messiah. They're like, yeah, no, you're not. <laughs> like, you can even do some miracles and I'm still not going to believe you. You know, you can, you can multiply fish and bread and I'm still not going there with you. And yet James... James, who isn't even mentioned during Jesus' ministry, becomes a leader in the church, ultimately ends up giving his life. Why would he risk his life after Jesus died? And why would he say now, oh, Jesus is God? This is his own flesh and blood. Because he knew it to be true. Paul, who was a persecutor of Uh, Christians who was traveling around persecuting them encounters Jesus and his life was radically transformed. He went from a persecutor to a preacher. He, He quotes that over 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus and even encouraged people to go out and find him. Say there's many of them that are alive now you can go out and talk to them. See this was not something fabricated. See God's word is true and it's powerful. Some people say, well, I've read the Gospels, I've read these accounts, but there's some differences, and, and I don't know, there's some different things that are mentioned. Yeah, of course there are. It's written by different people. And the differences in the Gospel accounts actually add to the credibility rather than taking away from it. If you ask anyone who, who does investigation, you know, detectives or police or journalists or things like that, how to tell if a story is true, They say, well it needs to vary slightly from from person to person. If everything is exactly the same, then we know that there was collaboration involved. It's just like if you've ever, well I'm sure you've never cheated off of anybody's paper, but I may have a time or two when I was younger, and if you cheat off of somebody, it's all great if they got all the answers right, right? But if they got some answers wrong and you get all the same answers wrong that they got wrong, it becomes pretty obvious that one of you cheated, right? And so similarly, with these, with these New Testament writings, if they were all exactly the same, then we could tell right off that, that they were deriving it from each other. See, God's word is true. We can put our faith in that. We can put our faith and trust that, that what we read is accurate. So doubting Thomas It's a bad reputation. Do you know there was another Doubting Thomas? More in recent history than that Thomas, there was another Doubting Thomas, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. And in 1804, he published the Jefferson Bible. Except what he did was he took the New Testament and he went through with a razor knife and he cut out all mention of miracles and supernatural. He cut them all out because he didn't believe. He didn't believe that a miracle could happen. He didn't believe in the resurrection, so he just cut out the resurrection. He didn't believe that Jesus was God, so he just cut that out. Man, what a depressing Bible to read that would be. Um, One where a guy comes and he teaches a little bit and then he gets crucified and buried. That was the Jefferson Bible, Doubting Thomas. He was the, the Doubting Thomas. See, Jesus told his own disciples, he said, I want you to go into the earth and preach the gospel to every person. Well, the disciples, they took that seriously. Thomas, he took that seriously, and he just took off. The guy's like, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to go to Rome, I'm going to go here. Thomas is like, I don't know where I'm going, I'm just going to keep going that way. And he kept going until he landed in India, specifically Kerala. And as he's there, he begins meeting people and preaching the gospel and he's traveling around, and he established around seven different churches, many of which are still there to this very day. He established these churches. Ultimately, he ended up dying for his faith by being speared. See, doubting Thomas was not doubting anymore. He just said, I just need a little bit of evidence, and then I'm giving my life for this thing, and he went, and and many people in, in India can still trace their spiritual lineage back to one apostle, Thomas. For many of us, we can't even do that. Why? Because Thomas, he took action. He wasn't doubting Thomas. He just had a few logical questions. and Once they were answered, he gave his life. See, seeing is believing, but believing is also seeing. Jesus says, you know, hey, it's great you saw and you believe, but it's even more blessed for those who can believe without seeing, and that's where we find ourselves. We didn't see Jesus die and resurrect again but we have the accounts from reliable sources and do we believe even when times of doubt may come you know it's okay to have some doubts Thomas did and Jesus met him right where he was at and if you're wrestling with your faith today you're not alone maybe you've come here with some doubts maybe you've come here not quite sure about the claims of Jesus and that's okay Maybe you've been serving God for decades. And you start questioning, like, is this real? Just like John the Baptist. He'd already declared that Jesus was the Messiah. He saw, he saw heavens open and, and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. He, he heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And then he's sitting in prison and he starts having doubts. Maybe you've been around the block and now you're still having some doubts. like, is, is Jesus really who He says? He is? Does he really forgive sins? Does he really bring restoration? Does he really bring healing? Does he really bring peace? Hey, if you're having doubts, you are not alone. Doubters are welcome in God's family. He's not going to look down at you. He's not going to put you down. He says, "Come, come with your doubts. Come with your hang-ups. come with your, your problems. Come to him. See, believing doesn't mean that we always have physical proof. But see, our doubts can ultimately build our faith if we turn them over to God. Like Thomas did. Let's be a believing Thomas. Believing. Hey, have a question. Dig in. Explore. And then let it build our faith. Don't embrace the doubt. Don't hold on to the doubt. The more we hold on to the doubt, the more it erodes our faith. But we take the doubt. We explore it. We dig into God's word. We get the answers that we need. And then we give our life for the kingdom of God. Like Thomas gave it all. He says, I'm gonna go. I'm not gonna stop. He didn't go with any of the other disciples. He went totally different direction than anybody else did. And and they probably never heard from him again. And he up dying for the truth that he believed because he had a few doubts, but they were answered by the Messiah, the King of Kings, and now he gave his life. Let us be like Thomas. Let us be like Thomas, that when we have questions, we bring them to Jesus. Say, here, here here's some questions that I have. Let him speak into our life. Let our faith increase, and then let us go and make a difference in this world that we live in. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you. We thank you that you are a God who is bigger than our doubts, bigger than our fears, bigger than our worries. So we ask you now to increase our faith. Your word says that faith comes from hearing this message of good news. God, inspire us to get into your word, to dig deep into your word, to learn more about you. Just inspire us, Lord. Let our faith grow. Let us be like Thomas. But when we have questions, we ask them. And then we grow in our faith. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, don't let another day go by. We don't have tomorrow promised to us. Maybe you have some doubts. That's okay. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you'll be saved, won't you call on his name? Call on his name. Say, Jesus, you are my Lord. I'm gonna trade in my doubt for a little bit of faith. God, we invite you to meet us where we are. I know there's a lot of us that are wrestling with some doubts right now. Maybe they're doubts that have been caused by lack of information, Maybe they're doubts that have been caused by a diagnosis. Maybe they're doubts that have been caused by loss. Doubts that have been caused by pain or storms or trouble or circumstances in our life. God, we bring these doubts to you and we invite you to increase our faith. Let us grow in faith. We thank you that Jesus is trustworthy that he is true, that he is who he said he was, that he is the Messiah, the King, that he came and he died on the cross. He suffered for our sins and he paid our debt in full and he died as an innocent man and the grave couldn't hold him any longer. And with miraculous resurrection power, he comes to life again and he's offering power of the Holy Spirit to each and every one of us who calls on his name. So we thank you. We put our trust in you. We put our faith in you and we trust that you are our Our God, in Jesus' name, amen.